0: Welcome to the Crux Podcast and Sermon of the Week. For more information about the Crux Ministries and Summit Church, please visit us at summitsanmarcos.com. Come on. Come on. Touch city. So, hey guys. But, hey, tonight, I'm really excited. We are starting off our Christmas series here. How many of you guys are ready for Christmas? Yeah? We got like two people ready for Christmas? What? You guys don't like Christmas? Yeah? Thank you, Lauren. One person's ready. Okay, cool. Guys, so, hey, th- uh, tonight, and then we have two more weeks. A so, total of three weeks, we're going to be doing Christmas series messages, okay? I uh, really believe that this could be a time of year where God really meets us and encounters us in a new way, okay? Uh, but tonight, I'm really excited. Uh, we actually have two speakers tonight, tag teaming it. Yes, we have our very own Dominic Groves, who you all know and love. Yes, he's the man. And then Lizzie is making her debut speaking in the crux for the first time. She's going to do such a great job, okay? Come on up, Lizzie. Let's just stretch out a hand and pray for her. Lord, I thank you for Lizzie, God. I thank you for everything we are gonna learn uh, about you and from you through her tonight, God. God, we ask that um, your words would pierce hearts tonight, Lord, um, and that it would, it would just go deep. Bring us a new side. We've heard the Christmas story a million times. Would you bring a new side of your heart for this story, Lord, into us? And would we be amazed by you tonight through your words, through Lizzie, Lord. So just bless her, and I thank you for her. And all God's people said, amen. Go ahead, take it away, Lizzie.
1: Thank thank you. That's my friend. Woo! Okay. Um, I just want to say I love serving here at Crux. You guys are all amazing, and I just love you with my whole heart. And um, in addition to serving at Crux, some of you might not know this, but I also love serving in the nursery because I just love babies. Who here loves babies? Raise your hand if you love babies. You better all raise your hands because babies are amazing. Wow, that was like half the people, I'm very surprised. Um, Why do I love babies? Well, I just love how they're cute, they're cuddly, they're just so innocent and pure. Um, I love when they have these like chunky little legs and a little like belly roll. And I love how their heads are like proportionally like way bigger than the rest of their bodies and they're just so cute. Yes, yes, pretty much little Evie and Hunter, Um, and I've pretty much served in the nursery most of my life growing up in church, so I've seen some pretty crazy things in the nursery, I'm not going to lie. I've been thrown up on, poopy diapers, obviously, all this stuff in between, but there's this one time that came to mind when I was thinking about the sermon, and it's going to be a little gross, but I'm going to share it with you, and you're going (laughs) to accept it, so there's this one time... (laughs) I was in the nursery, this is at my previous church, and the ratio was a lot bigger compared to this church, and I had, like, six or seven kids. Two of them were, like, crying, so I was holding two, and then the rest were kind of just, like, sprawled out on the floor playing with their toys. And there's this one little girl, I remember, and she's sitting in the corner, she was so cute, so quiet, and I was like, wow, what a good little baby, just sitting there all quiet, so easy. So I'm just holding the two kids, and... Um, the morning continues on. I would like look in her direction. There's like one point where she kind of made this weird face, kind of looked like she was straining a little bit, but I really didn't think much of it. She's just sitting in the corner, and maybe ten minutes pass, and I'm sitting there with those babies, you know, just holding them, and I smell something permeating the air, something unpleasant, something stanky, and I was like, somebody went poop, and so. The kids calm down, I put them down, and I start to, like, make my run to find the culprit. And I get to the girl, and the smell just intensifies. And I'm like, this is the girl. She went poop. I knew that face meant something, and that was exactly it. So I go to pick her up, and I see some mysterious thing on the carpet and on her leg and coming from her diaper. And I was like, oh, she got, ev- it like, went everywhere. And so I go to change her. So I very calmly, at arm's length, pick her up, carry her to the changing table, and take care of the whole duty. And in that moment, I realized babies are so capable of pooping, and pooping a lot. It's shocking. A lot. Um, so, why am I talking about this? You're probably wondering why she beginning her message talking about baby poop. Well, I was thinking about Christmas time because this is the Christmas series. And um, that's when I realized the God of the universe, this all powerful, this all knowing God, that's how he chose to come to earth. He came, this creator of the universe came down and chose to come as an infant. And when I think about that, that's just shocking. Just think about like how humiliating that must've been the creator of the universe, to literally sit in his poop like the little girl and just have to wait for someone to pick pick it up and clean him up. And so today we're going to be talking about, Dom and I, we're going to be talking about the importance of Christ's coming, and um, I'm just going to be exploring, like, why would God willingly come as an infant? Why couldn't he have just come as an adult, you know, in a more glorious form, at least somewhere in a form where he could, like, at least take care of himself, you know? And so I'll be talking about the profound significance of the way in which Jesus came, as well as what does that mean for us personally with our relationships with God. So does that sound good? Yeah. Um, So to do this, I'm going to kind of dive into some scripture, break it down a little bit, and I'm going to pull out some really simple but profound truths about God from these scriptures, and then just kind of close off... um, talking about what that means for us, and then hand it off to Dominic. So, to fully understand the significance of why Jesus came, I genuinely feel like you have to not just look at the birth time of Jesus, like how we normally celebrate Christmas, we, we celebrate Jesus' birth, but you have to connect it to the cross. And so, if you can turn with me in your Bibles or on your phone to Philippians 2, 6-8, And um, I'm just going to read the passage. In this passage, Paul talks about this connection from Christmas to the cross. So it says Are you guys ready? Yeah, okay. Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So this last verse, verse 8, I want to break this down a little bit, and it might sound a little teachery, but I'll kind of pull it together and make it understandable. Um, so I looked at the Greek meanings of um, a lot of these words in this last verse, verse 8, and um, for fashion, when it says, found in fashion as a man, in Greek, there's the word skema. Right there, shkema. Can you say that? Shkema. And that means form, shape, figure, manner. And what's profound about this is it's believed to be the same word used in ancient times to depict a king who exchanged his um, royal garments for a servant's garments and for a brief period of time. So that's pretty profound when you think about it. In Greek, they have two words for fashion. So the first one is morphe. And the second one is schema, like I talked about. Morphe is the central form that never changes. And then schema is the outward form that changes from time to time. So it's, it's good to look at the differentiation because in this instance, Jesus just kind of sh- changed his outward appearance or his outward fashion. And then as you move on in the verse, it says he humbled himself. And humbled in Greek is tapenos. Can you say that? Tapenos. And that means to stoop lower, to be humble and lowly, and to be willing to stoop to any measure that is necessary. And then um, I'll move on. He became obedient. Obedience is hupakuo. Can you say that? Hupakuo. And when you break it down to two parts, there's hupo, which is under okuo, I hear. And when you put it together... It basically means listening and hearkening to a command of someone superior. So I'm going to bring this all together in just a minute. But the last Greek word I looked into was unto, where it says unto death, obedient unto death. And that in Greek is mech, (laughs) Got to get the in there. (laughs) And it means to such an extent, which dramatizes this level of humility was shocking. So... The breakdown of this verse, if you were to rephrase it with these meanings, it would actually say, and I hope you find this as profound as I did. It says, And taking on the form of a human, he was willing to stoop to any measure that was needed, and he hearkened to the superior command of the Father unto death, even to such an extent as the death of the cross. Yeah. That's profound. And so that leads me to my first truth, if you're taking notes, and it's so simple, but our God has humility. Just think about it. God shed his magnificent, glorious, wonderful form, and he traded it for human flesh, this human flesh that we have. And just think about what great of a love that must have taken to humble himself to that point. It's shocking. So do you believe this truth? do you really feel that God is humble? When you think of God, do you think of him as humble? Sometimes it's almost hard to, because when you think humble, you think of acknowledging your flaws, but, and God's so perfect, but no, he's humble because he never changes from that point when Jesus came to the, to now he never changes. So he has so much humility. And so the truth is He loves you so much, and maybe in the past you viewed him as this big guy upstairs who's perfect and just tells you what to do, but he loves you. He loves you so much, and so I just encourage you as you talk to him, as you pray to him, just remember that truth that he's humble, and that's just, it, it will transform the way you, like, think about him and even the way you talk to him. Just think about, like, humble people. When you talk to them, you just feel, like, so comfortable, and you're just drawn to them, and when you associate that with God, it just really shapes your mindset. So we know that it's significant that Jesus came as a man, but it's also significant that he came through the birth of a virgin. And I'm sure a lot of us have heard this, and all the Christmas songs, or just maybe growing up, you just hear, oh yeah, Jesus was born to the birth, or birth from Mary the virgin. And... Um, If we move on to Luke 1, 26 through 35, it talks about this encounter Mary has with the angel. And um, I'm just going to, for time purposes, kind of move to the latter part of that part of the verse. And it says, um, in verse 34, Mary asks, how will this be since I am a virgin? So the angel just told told her that um, she's going to have Jesus. And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born and will be called the Son of God. So when you really just look at this verse, you know that Jesus is like no other and that he's fully human and fully divine. And that's because he was conceived by the Holy Spirit and carried by the virgin woman. And the virgin birth is so significant because he had to be free from the sinful nature that is normally that is passed on through um, Adam and all the generations. So all the humans that have been born to a male, um, they naturally just inherit the sinful nature. So by just being conceived through the Holy spirit, that breaks off that sinful nature. And so Jesus arises from the outside, just pure and clean and, excuse me, in no way a product of this world, and that's so important. And so nothing, this is important to really conceptualize, nothing about his humility takes away from his divinity, and nothing about his divinity took away from his humanity. Yeah. So this just shows the mingling of God with humanity for the first time. He, that was the first time God truly came and, like, mingled with us as humans and he arrives from heaven with this perfection and this godliness that no man or woman has ever been capable of, and he chose to live out the human life. That's so profound, you guys. And so truth number two is that our God is approachable and accessible to all. Imagine if he actually arrived fully grown and was just ready, like, okay, just crucify me, I'm ready. Just think of how less significant that would have been because we model after Jesus, right? How could we follow in his footsteps if we had never seen him crawl? How could we have believed that he understands um, the temptations we face if he had never gone through those years of emerging into adulthood like we have experienced? So instead of Jesus just coming down like, okay, crucify me. No, we see him as an infant in the manger. We see him as a boy on the verge of maturity, already about his father's business. We see him growing in stature and wisdom and in favor with God and man. We see people in his hometown take offense to him when they witness his miraculous powers. We see him wrestle with temptation in the desert. We see him love children. We see him mocked and slandered against. We see, him, we see that he wept. We see that he forsake his own humanly desire to live and not be crucified on the cross and instead be obedient to the, to the Father. We see him betrayed, we see him suffer, and we see him crucified. He has gone through all these things. And um, so our God is approachable and he's accessible to all because he lived out this humanly life. And do you act in this truth? Do you talk to him regularly? Do you... Um, Tell him when you're having a bad day or when you're frustrated. Do you tell him those deep, personal things that you would tell to a close friend? Because you can, and you don't have to filter yourself. Regardless of what you do or you don't do, he's fully accessible to you in this moment, and that's never going to change. And that leads to truth number three which is our God truly understands what we feel and what we go through. When we see him experience all of these emotional pains, as they describe in the Bible, we know he feels the same emotional pains that we feel at times. <clears throat> Excuse me. When we see that his back was whipped and that these spikes were through his wrists, we know he understands when we have physical pain in our bodies. So just think about maybe something you've gone through recently or maybe you're going through right now and just know like God understands. Maybe you have really bad neck and back pain right now. God feels you and he understands. Maybe your heart hurts from rejection from someone you love. God feels you and he understands. Maybe you're grieving the loss of a loved one and it just feels like you have no strength. God feels you, and he understands. Maybe you've dealt with anxiety, and it just feels overwhelming at times. God feels you, and he understands. Maybe you feel like you struggle with depression, or you feel depressed right now. Yes, even depression, God understands, and he feels you. And and that just makes it so personal. Often when we struggle and we feel pain, it feels like we're alone. And even if no one else around us, like our friends or our family, are going through the same thing, you can be confident in knowing that God understands how you feel. You're never alone. So these three truths that I presented to you that our God has humility, our God is approachable and accessible to all, and our God truly understands what we feel and we go through, these deeply impact our relationship with him they show that our relationship our relationships with him can actually be personal and that we aren't ever alone because Jesus was born and because he lived out a life here on earth we know he fully understands to the fullest extent our experiences and our struggles so to kind of summarize this there's Hebrews 4:15 through 16 so if you want to turn to there really quick it says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, <clears throat> just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy mercy, and find grace to help us in our time of need. That summarizes it so perfectly, you guys. We can tell him our thoughts. We can tell him our feelings, our needs, and he can genuinely empathize with us. Genuinely empathize with us. He loves to hear about our days. He loves to hear about what we're frustrated about. He loves to comfort us and interact with us closely. And he made a huge sacrifice just to be able to be closer to us. So as we approach Christmas and finals And, you know, with Christmas, um, it gets kind of stressful, maybe in your home situation or with families or friends or just things like that. I just encourage you to hold on to these very simple but profound truths about God. And I think you'll find that you'll start to feel less lonely, less stressed, and a lot more loved. So just remember, our God has humility. He is accessible to all. And he truly understands what we're going through. Isn't that right? Yeah. So I just want to welcome up Dominic. And he's just going to continue this message of just God's goodness and how it's so important in how Jesus came the way he did.
2: Let's give it up for Lizzie. So Lizzie just did a great job of illustrating some of the reasons why, like, how Jesus came are so important to understanding the Christian life, our relationship with him, and Christmas as a whole. Uh, what I want to jump into is just, why did Jesus come? Or even breaking it down even further, why Jesus? Why was this the way? <laughs> why did Jesus come at all? Um, but before I dive into that, this week I wanted to share something I was thinking about. Um, how many of you guys have ever stepped on gum? All right? It's horrible. You don't even always realize it, and all of a sudden you're in it, and it's like gotcha. And depending on how fresh that gum is and how sticky it is, sometimes it like will take the shoe off your foot. It's like just in there, you know. And that's kind of how I felt like um, with this scripture this week. I felt stuck. <laughs> I don't know how I ended up there when I was praying for a Christmas message, but I felt just stuck, like that gum on my shoe. I just couldn't get past it. I was like, Lord, I want to bring Christmas, and I was just stuck right, right here. And I was so happy I got stuck here because the Lord showed me something um, in the Christmas story I just didn't really appreciate before. Um, So with that, I want to talk about Abraham. That's right. Christmas with Abraham. So we're going to jump back all the way to Genesis 22. Bear with me. This is a bit of scripture here. Verses 2 through 12. It's when Abraham is going to sacrifice Isaac. So it's God speaking. He says, take your only son. Yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. The next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey and took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey. Abraham told the servants, the boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there, and then we will come right back. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders, while he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. We have the fire and the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son. Abraham answered, and they both walked on together. When they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up his knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way. For now I know that you truly fear God, for you have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. So why was I stuck here for a Christmas message? Why was I stuck right here? I was stuck on it because I saw so much of a father and son relationship in the Christmas story, in the Jesus story. I I saw from one of the First times in a while, looking at the Jesus story, not as just Jesus, but the Father and the Son. Because that's how he we went through life, right? Jesus only did what the Father did, what the Father showed him. For those that you who don't know, Isaac was Abraham's promised son. He was the promise from Lord that he would have legacy, that he would be a father of nations through this boy. You guys might not know this, but Isaac actually wasn't even born to Abraham until Abraham was 100 years old. People believe that Isaac at this time was at least teenaged, possibly into his 30s, which means Abraham's pushing like 120 at least. <laughs> that tells me a lot about this. He didn't have his son until he was 100 years old. In a, in a culture where legacy and, and family and, and that kind of thing was, was almost everything. And Abraham didn't have anything until Isaac. And Isaac was promised. This boy might have been his whole world, his whole legacy, one of the things in his life that mattered more than most. And that was what the Lord asked him to sacrifice. I, I think it's wild some of the parallels. In that verse, you hear that for the sacrifice, the father is offering up the son. In that story about sacrifice, you realize that actually Isaac took the wood on his shoulders and carried it up a mountain to go be a sacrifice. Is it sounding familiar yet? A promised son. You know, some people think that this is a justification that somehow God is so cruel, right? How could you ask a father to do this? Even if you always planned on on providing the lamb, even if you always plan on it. Isn't that cruel? Well, I don't know. <laughs> because God's testing something that he was prepared to do himself, <laughs> right? And yet God still gave a, gave a lamb. God still provided the sacrifice. Isaac came back. Isaac came back to Abraham. And from the moment Abraham heard he had to sacrifice Isaac to the moment that that lamb of God was given was a period of three days. Some people say that Abraham probably thought of Isaac as effectively dead for those three days. And he returned from the mountain as if he got his son back to life. How interesting, a a son that needs to be sacrificed comes back to life in three days, so to speak. It's almost as if God is painting one big picture across time. It's as if all of history is saying this one same story. You see it in Scripture all the time this, these recurring themes, these recurring things that, G, that God does to point to Jesus. Even Jesus says, when he's talking to the Pharisees, he says, you know, you try to look at the scriptures, <laughs> but you don't realize that all scripture points to me. And this, this chapter in Genesis is so much of it. Isaac is such a type and shadow of, of Jesus and what he eventually did. I want to look at Zechariah 12.10. It's a prophecy, again, a couple hundred years before Jesus' birth. Zechariah prophesies, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace, peace, mercy, so that when they look on me and on him who they have pierced, they shall mourn for him, as one mourns for an only child, and weep bitterly over him, as one weeps over a firstborn. Why Jesus? Hundreds of years before he's born, we get these images, we get these prophecies. I'm going to send someone. (laughs) I'm going to send a firstborn. The Lord establishes this idea of this ultimate sacrifice. What did it mean to the Father? What was the ultimate sacrifice for the heart of the Father? The Son, the only Son, the begotten Son, the Son of promise. But why? Why would a father do that? Because it was the ultimate sacrifice. He establishes it in Genesis as, hey, this is a picture of an ultimate sacrifice. He comes with Jesus and says, I'm prepared to make the ultimate sacrifice. You have a father whose unwavering will guides Jesus all the way to the cross. To the point where in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus actually prays, Lord, please take this cup of suffering from me. I don't want to do this. He prays again, Lord, if the only way is for me to take this cup of suffering, then your will be done. There was a point that even Jesus' heart, Jesus' will in his humanity seemed to bend away from what it looked like the Father wanted. It is the unwavering will of the Father that Jesus bound himself to, that said, even if it's not my will, your will be done. I will abide by that. The Jesus story, the Christmas story, is not just even about Jesus. It's about the Father who sent him. It's about the Father that says, this is my son. This is my will. That Jesus would follow, live, die, come back. This is my plan. But why Jesus? John three sixteen and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Why Jesus? Why would a loving father be willing to do this ultimate horrible sacrifice? It says it right here in probably the most quoted scripture in the entire world. Because God so loved us. What was worth more to the Lord than his only begotten son? The ransom for the rest of us. My only point in this message is is this one right here. Number one, Jesus came because God loves. Yes, Jesus came to save The sinners, he came to save the lost. Luke 19.10 says, Jesus said, for the Son of Man, referring to himself, has come to seek and to save that which was lost. But We look at Mark 10.45, it says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to save us. He came to show us an example of how we could do life with the Lord how we could walk in an intimate relationship with him through the Holy Spirit. He came to save us. He came to pay the debt. But he paid it because he loved us. We're getting close to the end here. I want to read right here out of Isaiah 53, another big chunk, 4 through 12, out of chapter 53 here. This is another prophecy. Again, hundreds of years before Jesus was even born on earth right? One of the prophets preaches this. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave, but it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier, because he has exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels, he bore the sins of many, and interceded for the rebels. Why Jesus? It's it's interesting when we think of God as a trinity, right? He's three and one. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There was a singular plan, a singular vision, a singular focus. It isn't this horrible monster of a father who'd be willing to sacrifice his son. It was a father and son that said, This is the only way. It's a verse here we see that he says when he looks at this, he's going to be satisfied. <laughs> There's actually a verse that says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. Jesus knew what he was doing. Let's not think for a second that his life was taken, right? He laid it down. Like Isaac. What do you mean, like Isaac? His dad wasn't really forthcoming with that, right? No, but he was inquisitive. He asked some good questions. And if your dad's 130 and you're a grown man, how's he going to tie you up when you're carrying wood? Unless you laid yourself down. Trusting the Lord. Trusting what your father said. Is it possible that Abraham built up enough equity with Isaac that even when it looked like that was the way, the son said, I trust you, Dad. I trust this God you've talked about. I've trusted this God that's led you the days of your life. Why do we look at cruelty when it was a father and son that were in it together? Another type and shadow of what we see through Jesus. Again, Jesus said, if there's any other way, but your will be done. Acts 4.12 says, and there's salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Why Jesus? Because the Lord wanted relationship with us. Because ever since Adam and Eve took a bite of that fruit, he had a redemption plan where he put everything on the line. He put every part of him on the line. He was willing to poop in the diaper. (laughs) He was willing to do a whole lot more than that. It was the plan. It was the only way. It was the only way to prove it. If we have a God that's perfectly powerful, perfectly good, and perfectly just, how can we justify a whole history of people that have fallen short of him, have fallen short of of perfection, have sinned? The only way was through sacrifice. Again, I think that was the only reason he even gave the law. And the Levitical law and the burnt sacrifices was, again, to be a type and shadow of for this sin there must be blood sacrifice. And the only sacrifice that is strong enough to wipe the slate is a perfect one. This is the only way that I can be perfectly good and perfectly just and love you this much. We celebrate Christmas because we remember that that was when God chose to bring this into the world. That all history was holding its breath, waiting for that first word of Jesus. (laughs) Christmas was when he said, it's time. It's time to bring them back. It's time to do what I've promised. It's time I put, put the money where my mouth is, so to speak, as if I had to. But here it is. I pursue you. I want you. I will do anything for this. Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. For to us a child is born. that unyielding will, it will come. Hundreds of years before his birth, the prophets are saying he will come because this God's zeal is to accomplish this. This is his heart. This is his plan. They're in on it together. This is it. So we're gonna close right now, but I wanna share with you the only other thing this week I've been stuck on praying for this. It's that Christmas hymn, the, Oh, come let us adore him. I can't get it out of my head. All week. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him. Christ the Lord. He was our ransom. Why Jesus? Because there was a love that was stronger than anything else. Because while we were enemies, he died for us. Because while we were rebels, he was willing to be called the worst of them. He was beaten so we could be whole. (laughs) He took it for us. Merry Christmas. (laughs) I think right now I just want to spend a moment to just pray over you guys. And then Lizzie and I were actually prepared um, some small group questions for you guys to really just reflect, to really just give time to what Jesus means for us, to what Christmas means for us and means for all of you. But for right now, let's just pray. If I can have everyone close their eyes. Thank you, God, so much for Christmas. oh, it's the best. You're the best. I thank you that the answer why Jesus is because you love. There was one way and that's you. So right now, wherever you guys are, whatever season of life you're in, whatever circumstances you're in, whatever you're stuck on, I want to give you guys a moment here. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to say anything out loud. But in your hearts, I want to to just do two things. If you're at a place where you have stopped asking, why, Jesus? If you're in a place where you've stopped remembering how crystal clear he made this for us and what he did, and you just want to say, this Christmas, I want you again. I want you in a way I can hold on to. I want you in a way that really matters. (laughs) A way I can't clock you in, clock you out. A way I can't forget. Then right now, wherever you are, I want you to just pray with me. Dear Jesus, thank you for your grace and love. Dear Jesus, right now, I repent for putting you on the sideline. For forgetting for the choosing to just deviate away from you. And right now, I'm going to just recommit my heart to you this Christmas. <laughs> Thank you for receiving me. Thank you for giving me everything. Thank you for still wanting me, pursuing me, and put everything on the line for me. I receive it. Thank you, Holy Spirit. And to the others of you, and maybe it's no one, but maybe it's someone or a few. Maybe you've never bought into this Jesus thing at all. (laughs) Not really. And maybe you want to. Maybe you want to feel Christmas. (laughs) Maybe you want to feel a lot more than that. If you want him, then just, just follow me with this. Dear Jesus, thank you for being the only way. I repent for doing this life without you. I repent for not knowing, (laughs) not being hungry enough to dig deeper, or just choosing not to. Right now, I ask that you come into my heart, come into my life. It's yours just fill me with your Holy Spirit. Thank you, God. And so all around the room, thank you so much for this time that we just got to hang out for a little bit and remember Christmas. Thank you so much, and God bless you guys so much. I know it's a little heavy, but we've actually made these really amazing questions for you guys. And if you made one of those decisions to pray one of those prayers, I really encourage you to share about that in your group. And if that's a little too much, then maybe afterwards, just grab the leader that was in your group and share with them. We want to know. We want to celebrate you. We don't want to point you out. We don't want to judge you, anything like that. We want to celebrate with you and equip you, making sure you have everything that you need. Um, So I encourage you to share. I encourage you to share a lot more than
0: that. Thank you for listening to the Crux Podcast Sermon of the Week. Be sure to visit SummitSanMarcos.com for other exciting content from Summit Church.